Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa So tonight I'm going to continue with my last talk on uh, understanding our protection, defensiveness or defenses and how to work with them in a mindful, skillful way. These protections, they have their place. It's not, they are not... Uh, something that uh, you call useless, they have their role to play, you know, to help us from situations where there's stress, there's stress, distress, uh, harmful thoughts. When you're in danger, we need protection, of course. But the problem is overusing them and uh, not knowing how to use them. It's like uh, maybe when you, I can compare it with this example. Let's say you put on your shoes to walk in the muddy areas and you go and walk in the woods. They protect you from muddy areas, from insects, thorns but if you overuse them or you misuse them the shoes uh, especially you come back with muddy shoes you enter the meditation hall you go to your room you take them to dining hall with mud, we are talking about with the muddy uh, everywhere. And then you go to your room, you take a shower with them, <laughs> and you go to bed with them. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> your bed sheets will be dirty. <laughs> That's the first thing. <laughs> You have to keep on washing your bed sheets actually every day. <laughs> and if you're going to shower with them, you are maybe yogis are going to complain. Fellow yogis are going to complain. Who brought this mud in the, in the bathroom? So it's very clear this protection or defenses or coping mechanism. They have a place to play, but the problem if you use them when they're uncalled for. They're uncalled for. And I'll give you a few examples where uh, I've used them myself. In terms of intense danger, they are very helpful. Very, very helpful when you're in danger. And they may not be very helpful when you're not in danger. I'll give you an example. This is my own example. Uh, many years ago, I was in West Virginia in a monastery, Bhavana Society. And uh, as uh, monastics, we have one day off each week. So we spend that one day in meditation. We don't have vacations. <laughs> we spend that day, very important day for us, once a week and meditate in our kutis. So I, st I meditated, meditated, and then in the evening, I decided to take a walk in the woods. And it's a forest monastery in West Virginia, around 48 acres, a very big forest, and we stay in kutis near trees. So then I started going out for a little walk, and then I sat on a wood, sat down on a wood, and it was next to our neighbor who had a junkyard and had dogs. 
So then I sat down and all of a sudden I saw a big dog, black dog, with many, f uh, I mean with feathers, I mean uh, hairs, black. I said, wow, what a big dog. But all of a sudden I found out it's not a dog. Because the way it was throwing the legs like this, I said, no, there's no leg, uh, dog which throw legs like this. All of a sudden, I found out it's not a dog. <laughs> Guess what? I remembered seeing a bear in, in Uganda, in a zoo, black bear. I ran to the kuti. That's my compassion. And that's my meta, actually. That's how I practice meta. <laughs> I didn't sit there, oh, seeing, seeing. <laughs> well, I'm a monk meditating for a whole day. I would say seeing, seeing. Blackness, blackness. <laughs> that's called spiritual bypass. A term, I think, in, uh, uh, found by John Wellwood, a psychologist. When I ran to my kuti, I felt safe. And once I felt safe, only then the bear changed direction and it started going upward, uh, uphill. I say, maybe I scared it. Then I start walking in a naive way because this was my first time to see bear in the, in the woods. So I kept on walking, following it, not so closely, keeping a distance and sending compassion phrases. May you be free from suffering. May you not be scared. And it went off. So uh, this is where actually the defense mechanism worked very well. <laughs> I'm still alive. <laughs> so it worked very well. So I used it in a proper place. I sent meta when I was in my kuti on, on a veranda. So it works very well. Now, there's an instance uh, that I found out uh, this uh, defense or protection didn't work very well. And that was not me that time. It was uh, in Uganda on an island. It's called Sese Island. I took some of my, my students there. Once a year we have international meditation retreat for seven days. We started this year actually. So people came from Australia, Singapore, and, uh, Italy, and uh, Indonesia, and many Ugandans actually especially Catholic priests and, uh, and nuns. And then we attended this retreat, and then I decided to treat my international uh, students uh, to go to Sese Island, which is a very beautiful island. But people who, when they were coming to Uganda, they didn't have much information about Uganda. They still remembered Idi Amin, a dictator, and the wars in Uganda. Long time ago, when I was very young, there used to be a lot of problem in Uganda, wars and all this. So that's what they fixated in their mind. Especially people from Singapore, doctors told them, you are going to Uganda, it's dangerous. So, but uh, people don't read so much about Uganda, that's a problem. So these people came with a misconception of the things they saw 20 years ago or so now we went to this island, and then uh, one of my students from Australia, uh, Mel uh, Melbourne, uh, I gave rooms to my students, and very close to the lake. And, and in this resort, there's a uh, tourist police. They had a gun. Actually, their job is to keep the place safe, they are paid for that, to protect uh, tourists. 
So he's a one student in Australia, came to me at around uh, nine, we on a fireplace. He said, Bante, why did you give me a room which is so close to this fireplace? I, I told her that they are, they are these are tourist place. I mean, police and also the, you're next to other uh, international visitors. She told me, you know, Bante, I'm going to put two chairs on my door. Two chairs to shut the door so that nobody goes into the room. That's where I saw defense mechanism doesn't serve very well. Here you are in a safe place, on an island. One of the safest places in Uganda is on an island. And there are two police with guns. And still you are afraid. And you think chairs are going to help you to pop the, <laughs> the door. I mean, if somebody wants to come in, <laughs> they just push the door and the chairs go away. <laughs> Too much defense, me defense mechanism, too much protection and imaginations, that's when it is not serving us. Because you're, you're thinking that chairs are going to protect you. Chairs cannot protect you. So then I learned a lesson about this protection. Anyway, I want to always bring some of my practical example of defense mechanism is recently I was listening with a talk. Carol was giving a talk here and I was sitting there. I had an itch in a throat. I looked, I looked around, I could not see tissue papers. So I decided to have a, some protection. I said, I'm going to suppress this itch. But what's very interesting, the more I suppressed it, the more it became itchy. <laughs> and I could not scratch from here. So what I did is to make this subtle coughing. <clears throat> and I hear them actually here, because people are so afraid what other yogis are going to feel about their throat, clearing their throat, their coughing their breathing. So there's a lot of self-consciousness. Oh, what will happen if actually a fellow yogi hears me coughing? What's going to happen? But for me, my worry was, Carol was giving a talk here, and I was sitting there. I thought if I cough, you won't hear the Dhamma. So if I kept on coughing <coughs> like this, you, I will, I'm going to interrupt Carol's talk. So I kept on suppressing it, suppressing. Guess what? It became so strong that I coughed. <laughs> Every person I cough. I don't know if you noticed I did like this. Do you notice that one? Two days, two or three days ago. Yes, you are nodding in approval. You noticed. <laughs> that was many, many attempts. Many attempts to suppress my cough. I, it, I just made it worse. And all of a sudden, bah! I was afraid to make a mess around here. <laughs> now, I'm the one who's going to talk about protection, defense mechanism, and here I am, I'm protecting myself because I can't see any tissue paper. If you remember very well that time, I think three days ago, I start having tears and running nose and there's no, no tissue papers. I say, let me walk out of this place. I was about to walk out of this place because I could not see a tissue paper. And the embarrassment was more of the running nose. I rarely have running nose, but it was starting running. I say, it doesn't make sense. Maybe the teacher is going to say, maybe my talk is boring. Why Bant left? <laughs> I thought Carol is going to, when giving a talk, say, why Bant live in the middle of my talk? <laughs> so I decided, not to, I decided not to leave. I stayed. What I did is actually to come slowly by slowly, grab, it was actually here. Anne was sitting there and grabbed it. But I saw all of a sudden Carol doing like this.
grabbed it, put it there. <laughs> I started. <laughs> Done. <sighs> I felt that way. I said, wow, what amazing experience. <laughs> what amazing invent, actually. This was an invent. I couldn't expect that. By the way, I came to this Dharma talk. I didn't expect all this to happen. But the thoughts, what would my fellow teacher think if I live in the middle of the Dharma talk? And also I thought of, okay, if I really actually cough, the teacher, Dharma talk will be interrupted. And if I sneeze, I will make a mess around. So, <laughs> so now I decided before I sit here, I make sure that that thing is very close to me. <laughs> okay? I think let's go to the talk now. <laughs> Actually, that was also talk. <laughs> I was trying to illustrate when actually defense mechanism, coping mechanism, protection, let us say protection, when they're necessary, when they're not necessary, and when we, use, we overuse them or when uh, they're uncalled for, they can create suffering. So we should know what to do, when and how. So anyway, last time I talked about repression, aggression, projection, regression. This time I'm going to talk about compensation, denial, mental isolation and physical isolation, four of them. I'm going to talk about those. Using the sutta, uh, by the way, the Buddha never said these words. These are modern psychological words, but exactly what the Buddha explained in the sutta as faults is actually the same things. Just 2,600 years ago, Buddha never used these words, but it's the same thing. So let us actually go straight to this discourse. So we start with uh, number five, because I told you there are eight. Number, number five is comp compensation. Uh, Anguttara Nikaya. This is Anguttara Nikaya. Uh, it's in a uh, sutta. Uh, if you want to refer to it, it's Anguttara Nikaya, uh, the numerical discourses of the Buddha. Here, what happens in the monastery, uh, when I told you last time, a bhikkhu was reproved by a fellow bhikkhu, and then this is what, uh, how he responded. Again, when the bhikkhus are approving a bhikkhu for an offense, he speaks while waving his arms about, waving his arms about in the midst, in, in the midst, of the Sangha. Sangha is a community of monastics. I said this person is a similar to the wild cult, uh, the wild cult that when told go forward and when spurred and incited by its trainer, leaps up with the front of its body and churns the air with its front feet. There is a, such a kind of person here like a wild cult. This is the fifth fault of a person. So the Buddha was very good at using similes and analogies. It's amazing. So imagine somebody say you committed an offense and what they do, they just use their gestures eh, to kind of uh, put off, uh, kind of uh, compensate for what they feel uncomfortable for. Hmm? So this is uh, very clear in one, uh, maybe not so much in your, med your, meditation, your meditation here, uh, but maybe you can relate to it uh, when uh, we re rec recite one incidence of Venerable Sona. Venerable Sona during the time of the Buddha uh, ordained and he was from a rich family and he never lifted a finger. Uh, everything was coming easily, everything. And then, because he was from a rich family, uh, he took life so easily, very lazy and all that. Now, he got to know about Buddha, the Buddha and his monks and nuns and left followers so he decided to join the monastic order to ordain as a monk. 
Because when he joined as a monk, he actually remembered all the years he spent in luxury, life, not doing anything. So he decided to compensate for all that life by doing walking meditation. He was doing walking meditation back and forth, back and forth, and blood was full of was full hmm? on the path, walking path. There was a lot of blood and a little bit of hairs. The, the story goes that he had hairs around his feet. <laughs> Hair had grown around his feet because he was not doing anything. So, <laughs> so he said, I'm going to walk and attain enlightenment in the shortest time. And he chose walking meditation. The Buddha came and found blood all over the walking path. In the monasteries, we usually have walking path, well demarcated. And the Buddha asked, Who, which monk has been walking here? The monk said, oh, Venerable Sona. And Venerable Sona was applying excessive energy during walking meditation. So the Buddha asked, where is Sona? Sona came. He, say, he asked him, um, what were you, were you doing before you became a monk? Oh, I used to be a musician and playing a lute, Indian lute, uh, say an instrument with the strings, I guess. I've never seen it. I've been in India for five years. I, I don't remember seeing it. Maybe some of you have seen it. Anyway, the Buddha said, okay, if this is your instrument, if it was too tight, what happened to the music? Oh, it, when it's too tight, music was not good. And when, what happened when it was too loose? What happened to music? Oh, it was not good music. Then he said, okay, now try to balance. Not too much effort and not too little effort. So that was the time when the, Sona knew how to balance. So not over-efforting, but using balanced effort. But what he was doing is kind of compensation, try to compensate for all his time by doing all this walking, and, and he, he, he really hurt himself. So anyway, this is uh, maybe, it's not in your experience, but for me some time, I go to a retreat. Normally, as a monk, now I go to a retreat when I, I found out I have a heavy schedule. I go to teach in Brazil, uh, Chile, then this and that. I say, let me go for a vacation. A little vacation. You know, vacations for monks? We go to meditate. <laughs> so sometimes I go to Efar, sometimes I go somewhere. But sometimes I found out that, wow, I've spent time talking, giving Dhamma talks. Let me compensate that time by sitting meditation. I just meditate, not talking, like now I'm talking. I'm sitting and talking, but anyway. <laughs> when I go to, for my meditation, I try to make up for the, maybe one month, uh, two weeks, before I hit the road. So there's that kind of, can be actually a kind of compensating and then working so hard and then the faculties maybe not balanced and you can feel it. So then it's very, very important to really balance your walking meditation and uh, sitting meditation. Uh, this is very, very important. You'll find areas in your life where you are trying to compensate and uh, uh, you can find out these areas where you feel maybe inadequate and then you try to compensate. So we go to the second one. Uh, the second one, the second, uh, I mean, the in this series is the sixth uh, defense mechanism. It's called isolation or psychological isolation or mental isolation. Here the Buddha never used that word, but when you look at what he's trying to point at is actually the same thing. Number six, again, when the bhikkhus are reproving a bhikkhu for an offense, 
he does not heed the sangha, the community, or his reprover, but sets out wherever he wishes, while still bearing his offense. I say this is a person. Uh, I, I say this person is similar to the wild colt that, when told go forward, and when spurred and incited by its trainer, does not heed its trainer, but destroys destroys the mouth beat with its teeth and sets out wherever it wishes. There is such a kind of a person here, like a wild colt. This is a sixth fault of a person. So this is actually very common. When we split, when we split off emotions from thoughts, and this can come from memories of our past, especially when we try to go in the past and what we did in the past. Sometimes this emotion comes, but we brush it off too quick, immaturely. And then we kind of isolate ourselves from that emotion. I think that a daily, uh, maybe in, in daily life, we can give an example. Let's say a medical student is doing some experiment, goes to cut, start cutting, uh, cutting a rat for experiment. And the way they do it is to isolate themselves from the emotion of the thought of death. Hmm? So they isolate themselves from a thought of death, or a thought of death, fear of death. So they don't want to go there emotionally because they want to cut, uh, they want to cut and they dissect and do the experiment. Maybe the, you don't have a direct experience like that, but for me, I have a direct experience when I was living in Thailand before I became a monk. I lived in Thailand for two years. And uh, I was in Bangkok. And I, uh, you know what I was doing before I became a monk? You want to know? Yes, I was a scuba dive instructor. <laughs> How about for, for pre-ordained monk? <laughs> in Thailand, on a resort. <laughs> Enjoying. Just like you. <laughs> Teaching scuba diving to all people from around the world. Swedish, Norwegians, Japanese, except Ugandans. <laughs> Australians, Americans, everybody. I had friends around the world. But uh, sometime when I was uh, bored, <laughs> I had to go for holidays sometime, a holiday and a holiday. So I would go somewhere. And then one time I went to Bangkok. And then I was taking a shower to, so that I can go and eat my dinner. Those days I used to take dinner. <laughs> <laughs> but I was in a great hurry, you know. I kept washing, washing, washing. And I came out of the bathroom. I didn't see that there's water. I kept on like uh, going this side and this side, and I gathered just enough momentum to fall down. I fell down. And then I hit my chin, and when I looked the mirror, I looked at the mirror, I had two mouths. One, this one, and this one. Here, actually, this is not a joke, actually. There was another mouth opening here. Really like this. This was just, I'm not talking about falling from a tree. I'm talking about falling from a floor. Water was, was oozing out, was coming out of a bathroom, and it was all over my bedroom. And I didn't see it. And I was in a hurry to go and have dinner. In the evening. I'm telling you, those days I was a meditator, though I was in Ireland. Is every enjoyment, but I was a meditator. So 
I went to a hospital. They were stitching it, stitching it, stitching. And I was trying to apply meditation and mindfulness. So I was isolating so much the thought, the emotion. I was isolating it from the thought of the infection that I'm going to get. Because, you know, as a, a scuba dive instructor, we work underwater. That meant that I'm going to spend one or two weeks without diving. And that means without money. <laughs> Because I was paid for what I was doing. So, all those things, I, I just blocked them off. Hmm? I didn't want to go there, that I'm not going to work. So, I tried to block off my emotion from the thoughts. So, that's called mental isolation. I think on a retreat, it might also come to you when you remember an incident as a child, how you are mistreated, uh, or whatever, it can, comes up, it can come up. Instead of using mindfulness to really fully see the thought, the sensation of the thought, then the emotions, the feeling, all the things that we teach you in mindfulness, uh, we, we might forget even mindfulness and actually just kind of uh, uh, try to split off the emotions from the thought. So the good news is that mindfulness is there to help us to be mindful of a thought of the past, whether it's remembering, and then be mindful of the thought, the sensation around it, the pleasant feeling or unpleasant or neutral, and then the, uh, the, uh, uh, another emotion that can be created and investigating it. So don't worry. When I talk about these things, don't worry. You have all the tools, actually. I'm just pointing out things that comes when you are in their life or in a retreat. You have all the tools already, actually. But I'm just pointing out uh, for you to be uh, aware of these things that comes uh, during meditation or in our life, actually. That's also very common. You can cite your example where you try to snap emotions from the thoughts. There are many examples, but you can give yourself some Remember what's going on in your meditation. Sometimes there are techniques we use in mindfulness, coping mechanism. There are many ways, but uh, the thing that coping mechanism and uh, defense mechanism, they are so similar. And uh, the thing that they are also different. Uh, because coping mechanism, they are conscious, while defense mechanism, or may, they, may, uh, they are mostly unconscious. So, uh, really, uh, you can apply cop coping mechanism, like mindfulness is one of them, a mature one, whereby actually you deal with the situation, then you allow yourself to embrace the emotion and be aware of it and mindful of it, investigate it. So, you have the tools, I'm sure. We go to the seventh one. The seventh one is called denial. Denial. My friend, denial is a very, very, very common mechanism. I mean, defense uh, protection. Huh? I'm going to read from the Buddha himself. Um, again, when, it be a bhikkhu, when the bhikkhus are reproving, a bhikkhu, for an offense. He does not say, I committed an offense. No, does he say, I did not commit an offense. But he vexes the sangha by keeping silence. Mark that word, keeping silence. I say this person is similar to the wild cult that when told, go forward, and when spurred and incited by its trainer, does not go forward or turn back, but stands right there as still as a post. There is such a kind of a person he, uh, here like a, a, wild, a wild cult. This is a seventh fault of a person. This defense mechanism is in our society. 
full of it. Other defense mechanisms, they don't get so much uh, into the society, in the language, in, uh, but I'm going to point out a few things and you know that denial is so much in our society. I start with Uganda. In Uganda, when somebody dies, when somebody dies in Uganda, they announce the entire nation. You can really know who died in which region. It's not like USA. It's a very small country. So you can tune in the news to the news and hear, oh, somebody died and God took that person. But I ask myself, how can God take somebody? He's so busy. God is so busy. <laughs> they say, okay, you know, thank God he took him. And uh, No, God is not taking anybody. So that's denial, actually. Really, that's from my country. Second denial in my country. <laughs> twins. In Uganda, twins are very special. In fact... Those who produce twins, they get names. The father and mother and the twins get names. So, in fact, I can know by asking a person, what's, what's your name? They tell me I know that is a twin. I'll get to know that is a twin, sisters and brothers. Now, when twins die in Uganda, when they die in Uganda, they don't say they died. They jumped. Can you imagine people jumping? Denial, that's denial. <laughs> okay, let's go to my second home. United States is my second home. I have two homes. One is Uganda, another one, United States. Actually, I'm a dual citizen. I like United States. And I've learned a lot from United States of America. And this is what I've learned. Please don't take it personally. I'm also... <laughs> I'm also an American, actually. <laughs> so this is what I've learned. Again, I, I, let me repeat this. These things, don't take them personally. Hmm? <laughs> I don't want to finish this talk and say, Bante, you don't like our country? No, no, no. I'm also an American. <laughs> I want to repeat that. I'm a dual citizen, all right? <laughs> So this, you're not, this has nothing to do with you. It's us. It's us, Americans. Okay. Listen to them. I bought an aircraft. aircraft. I bought an aircraft. Hmm? Airplane. I sit down. I, hear, I start hearing announcement. And then patiently I hear. Hearing. Hearing. Now a flight attendant comes and starts telling me, uh, in the unlikely event of airplane, in, in the unlikely event of change in cabin pressure, <laughs> cabin pressure, change in cabin pressure, that's airplane blowing. But it's just a change in cabin pressure. Denial. <laughs> the use of, I learned even one la word recently here. It's like uh, putting lipstick on a pig. Putting lipstick on a pig. Soft language, euphemism, all that. Okay, here we go. Continues. In unlikely event of changing the cabin pressure, please use oxygen mask. They don't tell us how long it's going to last. Actually, I've just read that it lasts 25, 15 minutes only. Okay, you put in this oxygen whatever mask, and they tell us how to use them. Okay, I okay, that's fine. I know that very much. But what I don't understand, that, what I don't understand, I understand the use of oxygen, eh? 
mask. I understand very well. The only thing I don't understand in the whole thing, actually, and I admit my ignorance, is about in case unlikely event of a water landing. What's this water landing? I've, I've never seen a runway on water. I can confess my ignorance. I've never seen a runway on water. But here I am. It's unlikely event. That's the first thing. Another thing is a, a water landing. They don't tell us about land landing. They don't tell us when the airplane is in Iceland. Actually, that's how I come from Uganda. I go with Emirates. It goes through the Arctic. I can Sweden. I can Finland. They are frozen. They don't tell us what will happen when the plane is on Arctic, where there's a all water's ice, but it's only water landing, as if there's no ice at all. I have a new announcement, but I will not make money if actually I own a company. I would be real, not deny anything. This would be my announcement. Listen to my announcement. We are we are going to go over 40,000 feet above sea level in case there's a, the plane blows. <laughs> <laughs> Say your last prayers. <laughs> Get ready to go to heaven because we are 40,000 feet above sea level. On this airplane, there's also internet connection. You can send SMS to your relatives that you're going to be instantly cremated. <laughs> it's going to be a cheap funeral. They don't have to bother with the very expensive funerals. This is a Ugandan monk, be real. <laughs> I told you, in my approach in life, I told you IRS. Keep it interesting. Keep it simple and keep it real. Keep it real. That's the best. That's the reality. There's no denial. The planes blows. <laughs> People die. I don't see anything actually wrong with that. <laughs> Another one. This is what I've learned in my new country. I mean, in us. <laughs> Grief when there's death or loss. This is what I've learned. It has improved my vocabulary. Being here for many years, it has improved, my, this country has improved my vocabulary. This way I learned that death is called negative patient law, or what you call negative patient outcome. <laughs> ne negative patient outcome. Three words. Death. <laughs> That's it. I'm in my new country, I've learned that people just pass. People expire like documents. <laughs> Driving license. Thank goes to denial, Bante is not going to die. Bante is going to upgrade his existence. I made up <laughs> that one <laughs> to make me feel good. <laughs> I'm going to upgrade my existence like when you have a window vista and then you go to <laughs> upgrade to window 10 or what. I've also heard that people make a transition. It's just a transition. Oh, I, I, I read this one recently. It was a master from Hindu tradition who passed away. And uh, they say, attaining great samadhi. You know, you know, we meditate here, we reach samadhi, concentration, mm, like this. And according to that thing, they say, our master attained great samadhi. 
Yeah, actually, when you see somebody who has passed, oh, they, look, they look concentrated, actually. <laughs> kind of. So no wonder there's <laughs> this collateral damage. And all, so many things, but anyway, we are not going to go through all these things. But there's one thing I have to thank about denial is about aging. Bante is 40, now Bante is 41, no, 51, sorry. <laughs> Otherwise, to be denial of aging. <laughs> Bante is 51 years younger, not old. The Buddha, when he used these words, he used the word jara in Pali. Jara means aging. Whether you are born, whether you have spent 50 years here or 100 years, it's aging. He never used different words. But here, thank God to our denial, we are not aging. We are younger all the time. <laughs> That's something I've learned here. A few things I've learned. In West Virginia, I've learned something. What I learned there is uh, I read a, a brochure. A brochure. Um, somebody said, we are going to harvest, harvest, harvesting deers. You know harvesting deers? People are no longer talking about killing deers. That's terrible. Harvesting deers. And they say, we are so proud to be part of the natural cycle. We harvest deers. Can you imagine that's the first precept? Hmm? Not killing living beings. Are we going to say not harvesting? <laughs> Maybe. That's what we are going to use recently. I'm a bit actually worried which terms we are going to use another 10 years from now, because now killing is substituted with depopulation. With genocide, tribal cleansing. Tribal cleansing, cleansing, eh? cleaning. Eh? No, people no, no longer use these words in the real world, but they make them sound soft. I invented one for myself, stealing. You know, stealing, when somebody takes something uh, from the temple or get a book and never return them, I don't say they have stolen my book. They have borrowed my book indefinitely. <laughs> because if I say that a friend took my book, it's hurting, you know? So they borrowed, they, they borrowed my book indefinitely. Falsehood, what I learned about telling you, lie here or falsehood, it's engaging in misinformation. Actually, it's called uh, committing terminological inexactitude. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if that involves the government, I think. <laughs> committing terminological inexactitude. That's what's called lying. Uh, misinformation also. Okay, I think so. So for alcohol, I think they call it adult beverages. I don't understand it. Anyway, <laughs> forgetting is called senior moments. Mm. Here where I'm concerned about the people, uh, when they have problems, they say it's bad karma. Bad karma. God is for good things. Every good things, God is responsible. Every bad things is karma. This is more in a Buddhist people. People who started who stu people who studied uh, karma and they don't understand it. So what they do is always trying to find solace. And, oh, these bad things because of my karma. It's their karma. If somebody's suffering a lot, oh, it's their karma. That's another spiritual bypass, I think. Uh, the Buddha, when he taught about, uh, he, he taught the teaching on karma, he, he cautioned that. He, he cautioned us not to mishandle his teaching. And he talked about a snake. When you handle the teaching by the, 
the head, that's okay. It's like handling the snake by head, by the head. But handling the teaching of the snake by the tail, it comes back and bites you. So with the, with the teaching of, a, of karma, uh, the Buddha wanted, to, wanted you to understand about the middle way, the middle path, hmm? about the teaching on karma. So he's extreme. Thinking that karma, things don't, uh, nothing happened because of, due to karma, that's one extreme. Another extreme, thinking that everything's happened because of karma, that's another extreme. So the best way to understand the law of karma is to know that some of the things are due to karma, especially evolutions and all these things, and then you can actually have a better understanding. I've seen many, many people try to say, uh, instead of addressing the problem, they say, oh, just accept. Just accept. Be positive about life. Go with the flow. So all those things are examples where people actually deny. I'm just giving you a lot of examples here. So... Uh, Back to the law of karma, I, I want to give you an instance where the Buddha said that uh, there are other causes. He told, there's a sutta called Gidimananda Sutta in Anguttara Nikaya, where the Buddha talks about 48 afflictions that arises in the body. It talks about illness produced from bile, wind, flame, and the combination of these bodily humors. He talks about uh, illness caused by change in climate. Have you heard about SAD, SAD? Yeah, seasonal uh, uh, affective disorder. That's because of change in seasons. When it's in winter, people have winter blues, and then people actually suffer kind of it's a kind of a, a disorder that is caused by climate changes and also some illness caused by from attacks when people attack you then you have some bodily illness then uh, some illness are due to karma vipaka which is actually results of your of karma others due to careless behavior and even care of the body right uh, you you don't put shoes and go and walk in the woods then uh, you have some problems. It talks about many things are caused by other things, like we, we have what we call niyamas, uh, utu niyama, like this is like climate changes. Uh, let's say tsunami, earthquake. It's not caused by karma. It's due to climate changes, hmm? weather changes. There's changes like... Uh, things happen, let's say, what we call bijaniyama, the law of seeds. You plant apples, you get apples. That has nothing to do with karma. Hmm? Then we have laws like dharma laws, uh, we call spiritual, spiritual laws, uh, impermanence and uh, some of the things that happen when the Buddha is born. Like uh, So many things happen when the Buddha is born, like uh, we call them dhammatas. Uh, events when uh, the Buddha is born, there are certain events, and even Dhamma, understanding impermanence and satisfactoriness, non-self, all those are laws, uh, Dhamma laws, spiritual laws. There's Chitta Niyama. Chitta Niyama is psychic laws, uh, like when you see, uh, you see something, then pleasant feeling arises, uh, and then unpleasant and the neutral feelings. So this is a, a mental process, right? It happens uh, just very fast. As soon as you see something, uh, pleasant feeling arises or unpleasant. That's called chitta niyama, yeah, psychic laws. Then karma is one of them. So there are five law of order, um, and karma is one of them. So this is very important because most of the time people deny situations, and they say, oh, it's your karma. Oh, this injustice. Oh, those people, it's their karma. So this is where we have to be very careful. Now, uh, the last one, last defense mechanism is called physical isolation. He's a Buddha. 
uh, ending with this, number eight. Again, when the bikus are reproving a biku for an offense, he says, why are you making such a fuss about me? Now I will, I will reject the training and return to the lower life. He then rejects the training, returns to the life, uh, and declares, now you can, you can be satisfied with an exclamation mark. Can you imagine the monk just disrobed and say, okay, now you're happy with me now. <laughs> so this is called physical isolation. Hmm? The Buddha compared it like this. I say this person is, a similar, is similar to the world cult that when told, go forward, and when sparred um, and uh, incited by its trainer, tucks its front legs and its back legs and sits down right there on all the four legs. Hmm? This is such a kind of a person here like a world cult. This is the eighth fault of a person. These bhikkhus, these bhikkhus are the eight kinds of persons who are like a wild courts, like wild courts, and the eight faults of a person. And then the sutta ends here. So now, in maybe your meditation, I don't know about you, sometime I felt on a three-month retreat like quitting. Let me go back. But the good news, it hasn't happened to you <laughs> because you are here. <laughs> when we have difficult situations, maybe sitting, let us boil down to sitting meditation, and you sit, and all of a sudden pain comes, and you forget everything Banta said about how to deal with the pain. What's your first thought? Is to physically isolate yourself. Go and have a walk. That's what maybe can happen on a day-to-day basis when you face difficult situations. You want always to physically isolate yourself. Yes, of course, you shouldn't suffer. We can actually... Uh, Change our posture. You remember when I gave a talk on how to deal with pain? Be mindful of the intention before you move. Intention to move, intention to move, and then move hmm? with mindfulness. Being aware of what's going on in your mind. Is there fear of pain? Is there an of aversion towards pain? Is there... Uh, um, uh, what you call ignoring pain. So you actually guard your mind using mindfulness so that it's not quitting. It's actually with wisdom and understanding you change your posture. You can give so many examples in your life where you quitted when you shouldn't quit. You should understand more. I'm not saying that there should be no time where I should live. But the keys, when you always quit, quit with some kind of understanding, wisdom, but not out of, not on the autopilot. Most of the time, we, we actually physically isolate ourselves without, without mindfulness. So now, the next two minutes, the question comes. You've mentioned, you, you might ask me, okay, you've mentioned all these defenses, protection. But how to deal with them? How to deal with them? You have every techniques up to now. You have been given so many talks about how to do. The key is to pay attention. And even you can collapse all these defense mechanisms or defenses or coping mechanisms, whatever it is, Buddha called them faults, into Three, actually. Either you're pushing away things that you don't want, or you're indulging in what you want, or you're ignoring what you don't know. That's what we do. 
We do to people. We do this to people. People who give us chocolate, lunchtime, or ice cream, who treat us well, they are our friends. We indulge in it. People who fail to cooperate with us, they are our enemies. We push them away. And, and, people we don't know. Two days ago, strangers, ignore them. <laughs> this is, we do it all the time. <laughs> we, do to, we do this to people. So, this is our instruction meditation. They are, are going to help you. First thing, make whatever is arising the object of your meditation. That's the first way to deal with them. Maybe if it's denial, be aware of denial. If it's, if it's anger, be aware of anger. So just make it the object of your meditation. Know the presence of it and the absence. That's not new information. You've heard this before. Second one is called attitude. A is called attitude. Check in what's your attitude with whatever's arising. I've already told you, you should have a proper attitude. I've even told you before, don't push away things, don't indulge, don't ignore. The proper attitude is to understand, fully understand what's going on. If it's overwhelming, you can use some cop, me cop mechanism. We gave you some mechanism like maybe retracing, and reflection, uh, replacing, and redirection. I've already talked about those things, I think. Do you remember? I talked about this. Yes. If you actually start to understand things, you can actually use your protection very well because you are investigating whether it's changing or not. The Buddha gave this instruction. I don't know whether you really uh, remember very well, but Sally maybe talked about it. The Buddha said, or else mindfulness that the body, or else mindfulness that there is a body. Feeling, mind state, mental object, is simply established in a meditator to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and mindfulness. Now, here's a question. This is the instruction of the Buddha he gave about your attitude to whatever's arising. Do you get anger and say, yes, ah, I want to see this anger for further, for bare knowledge and mindfulness? Is that what you do? You see a fellow yogi or just walking very fast and you get angry? Ah, let us be, let us, let me be mindful for further knowledge <laughs> and more mindfulness. Is that what we do? <laughs> this is the instruction we should follow. Hmm? Get insight into impermanence and satisfactoriness and selfless nature. That's called investigation. That's not new information for you. And lastly, do not clinging on to whatever is arising. That's your last information. If you can get this from my talk, do not cling on anything. Is that clear? <laughs> yes. Not I am S. Can I repeat this? Not I, not mine, not myself. Why? Because whenever there's I to the, your protection, there is conceit. And whenever there's mine, there's craving. And whenever there's self, there's what you call wrong views. So let go of the wrong views, let go of the craving, and let go of the self. So thank you very much for listening. I've shared you what I found out in my new home, United States of America. It has taught me so many new terms. I've never heard this before. Negative patience outcome. <laughs> let us sit for a moment or two. Whatever arises in your experience, see if you can give up 
the view. It's actually a view of holding on to I, mine, myself. See if you can let go, letting go, and let go. I offer this for your reflection and don't take anything personally, all right? This is some denial at work. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.